This is Dollars and Change, a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact. Brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. Thanks for joining us on Dollars and Change. I'm Katherine Klein. I'm the Vice Dean for Social Impact here at Wharton. And I'm delighted to be speaking today with our guest, Lisa Hall, a Wharton alum. Lisa is the Fair Finance Lead and a Fellow in Residence at the Beck Center for Social Impact and Innovation at Georgetown University. She has dedicated her career to economic justice, social impact, and community development. She's been a leader in impact investing, um, serving previous is the Managing Director at Anthos Asset Management, headquartered in Amsterdam, and before that, serving as the CEO and President of Calvert Foundation. She also served in the Clinton administration and uh, actually had a period at Fannie Mae as well, and uh, wonderful to see you here. Um, Lisa, you have this interesting title now of Fair Finance Lead. And, you know, there's clearly a tremendous interest, as evidenced by the Beck Center, the Wharton Social Impact Center on impact, just a tremendous interest in in business-driven, finance-driven social impact these days. Uh, It's quite a movement. We see this in the news with Larry Fink's recent announcement about BlackRock's commitment to climate change, the Business Roundtable weighing in on the purpose of the corporation is not just to make money for shareholders and so on. But fair finance is kind of a new term. What is fair finance? Well, let me start by saying thank you uh, for having me on the podcast, uh, including me in uh, your series, and very excited to be here. Always great to be back at Wharton um, and a privilege to be speaking with you today about impact and uh, finance uh, topics, which I am passionate about. So the term fair finance uh, was a term that we coined at the Beck Center uh, to really describe what it means to have shared prosperity using the tools of the financial market. And how do you achieve shared prosperity uh, rather than prosperity for just a few mm-hmm. uh, by leveraging finance? And we're, we are looking across several uh, program areas under the umbrella of fair finance. And what led us to this work originally uh, was thinking about opportunity zones, a brand Mm -hmm. new tax incentive, uh, which has the potential to drive billions of dollars of capital into underserved, low-income communities that have been overlooked and um, Arlen Hamill would say have been underestimated by the capital markets. And when we came across um, a group of stakeholders interested in impact and opportunity zones uh, and brought them together in a small gathering, uh, we realized what potential there really could be about thinking uh, and using thinking about and using this financial tool to create impact. Can, can I, let's, I want to dig into opportunity zones and other existing programs, but for a moment, I want to go back to the term of fair finance right. and, and, and wrestle with this because I can imagine um, people maybe from po- different political spectrums, maybe from different uh, experience or maybe just, how they're feeling that day, saying, fair finance, what are we talking about? Finance is obviously fair. Or conversely, 
Fair finance, what are we talking about? Finance will never be fair. Right. Is it an oxymoron? Exactly. Exactly. So to those folks who would say fair finance, why do we need the the term fair? Finance is already fair. It's neutral. What would you say? Well, I would say we we have observed uh, over time that finance is not neutral and markets, in fact, are not perfect. Um, and that behavior is not always rational, Um, and that in our economies and in financial markets, we see many disparities. Uh, One very clear example is in allocation to diverse asset managers. Mm -hmm. Um, And we believe that, that the systems and incentives that undergird our financial marketplace Um, are not fair at their very heart uh, because they're operated by people who bring, uh, as human beings, we bring bias to our thinking and our behavior. um, And that uh, by focusing on fair finance, we really want to focus on the systems and the incentives to make them more fair for everyone so that we have an economy that is benefiting not just a very few, as we have seen statistically that uh, inequality in wealth is only growing, uh, but that that prosperity is shared across the, the entire set of stakeholders mm-hmm. across many uh, different groups of people right. and not just a small part of the population. So, so that argument is... You know, we may conceptualize finance as neutral, but the reality is it's subject to biases, it's subject, it's subject to network effects, and so there are, and we see increasing inequality in this country, the rich getting richer, some segments of the population, whether they're women, whether they're racial minorities, whether they're more rural communities, systematically disadvantaged, hence uh, an argument that it's unfair. So, but to the other point of view, which would say, yeah, that's right. Of course, it's unfair. It's never going to be fair. What's your response to that? So my response to that um, is that in this world of impact and impact investing, uh, there is a business imperative, right? That it's good for business uh, to focus on externalities, right? To to focus on the benefits to people and the planet. Um, but I believe there's also a moral imperative, mm-hmm. right? There's a moral case to be made about what is right and what is fair. Um, and this question often comes up uh, in in governance, in thinking about women on boards mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. gender. And, you know, 50 percent or on any given day, 51 percent of our population uh, is made up of women uh, across the uh, planet uh, globally. And it's just the fair and right thing mm-hmm. that women would be equally represented in governance structures for uh, all types of businesses and nonprofits as well. Right. Um, so I think that there is a moral case to be made around what what is fair and mm-hmm. what is right uh, beyond the business imperative. It, it is also true that it's good for business. Yes, and I, I absolutely agree with you. And I also really appreciate you making the the moral case because you know there are instances where the business case may or may not be there, may or may not be backed uh, by evidence. Um, or maybe is not observable at the time. 
Correct. Correct. When it comes to women, I, I've you know I've spent a, a, a lot of time looking at the the research evidence on women on boards, and the reality is there is no business case for putting men on boards, and there's no business case for putting women on boards. Gender basically doesn't matter, um, but there is a moral case. Yes. Um, so and I think the moral case matters. I think the moral case matters. I also think the moral case. I think there is a deeper question, and we probably won't get into this, but there's a deeper question about. What's the world we all want to live in? And do we really want to live in a world of haves and haves nots and stark, you know, stark differences there? Um, but that's a different question, perhaps. <laughs> so when it comes to fair finance, I'm really interested in knowing what tools and strategies you're thinking about. We've tried a lot of things in this country. You know a lot about those, those programs. And um, when you think about how do we increase the fairness of finance, you know, what are lessons learned that you're looking at and then what are things you're looking forward to? Yeah. So I think even before we get to strategy, we have to think about first principles. Mm. Um, and it's one of the approaches that we've taken in looking at opportunity zones is we've Can you define what opportunity zones are for Absolutely. listeners who don't know? So opportunity zones are part of a new tax incentive um, that was created in the 2017 uh, Tax Cut and Jobs Act um, that provides for a tax benefit or a tax advantage to investors that take capital gains and invest that gain into a designated opportunity zone. Mm -hmm. uh, by definition, opportunity zones are low-income census tracts, um, and the investment that's made must come from a capital gain where an investor has sold some type of asset, a stock, a real estate asset, and they've made money on it, mm -hmm. and then that money gets invested into a low-income community, and they get a tax benefit in having to pay less capital gains tax. Right. And so what is it that you, what's the connection you're drawing from Opportunity Zones, this legislation, to fair finance? So we started off in this work by creating a set of principles. Um, and we actually believe that these first principles are applicable to investing in all types of low-income communities, not just Opportunity Zones. Uh, but what we are finding with Opportunity Zones is that Stakeholders are coming uh, with very different points of view, but stakeholders who have not necessarily showed up in the past hmm. to think about community investing. So our principles include community engagement. So right off the start to think about who lives in the community already mm -hmm. um, and how investment can benefit them, but also how residents and people who work in these communities can benefit the investment itself mm. as workers and employees, um, as uh, innovators, as uh, contributors to design uh, efforts, that there are lots of ways the community can be engaged. Um, another principle is equity and thinking about what's fair mm -hmm. and how uh, current residents and people who already work in opportunity zones can benefit from an ownership interest and an ownership stake, um, both figuratively and literally. Mm. Um, how do you create equity mm -hmm. in these uh, opportunity zones? Uh, we're also looking at measurement and measuring social and environmental outcomes. 
and really being thoughtful about what externalities uh, are at play in opportunity zones and how do you measure, set metrics, monitor, track over time what type of impact you're having through an investment in a community. Mm -hmm. So these are examples of first principles, which I think can influence and guide a strategy that is, in fact, fair. Right. And that leads to fair finance. Right. And and what's been the response to these principles? Are investors paying attention? You know, is this... Uh, are you, are you able to move the needle? Because that's also, you know, we can, we can articulate these principles. We can talk about the research evidence. Influencing practice is obviously the next and critical step. In fact, there are investors over uh, 400 stakeholders, not all investors, but many investors who've adopted these principles. Uh, so one great example is the collaboration between Wood Forest Bank and Coastal Enterprises, a CDFI based in Maine, which focuses on rural investing. And this collaborative effort, it's a fund that mm -hmm. will invest in opportunity zones all over the country with a focus on rural communities. They will be using these first principles and a reporting framework that we created around opportunity zones to measure and manage their impact. Uh, so, in fact, investors are interested in creating impact. Um, they are interested because there is a business imperative mm -hmm. uh, to integrate um, business models and impact models. Um, and they're also interested because they're stakeholders, mm -hmm. uh, they're depositors. Uh, and in the case of Coastal Enterprise, which is a community development uh, financial institution certified by Treasury, uh, that their regulators care about the mission and the impact that they're creating. Um, so many stakeholders have been interested in the principles and reporting framework that we created. And I would point people to our website, ozframework.org, where you can find not only information about the framework, but also examples of how it's being adopted by investors all over the country. That's great. And, and, Talk with us about the Fair Finance Initiative, where this goes is, uh, you know, is your focus on uh, opportunity zones? Are you considering other policy initiatives? What is it from your stance? Uh, and you've talked about, you know, the, the, what being at a university allows, yes. you know, giving you time for reflection, time, you know, a voice and a platform. Where is Fair Finance going? Yeah, so being uh, based at an academic institution has been fabulous. It, it truly is uh, a world of academic freedom uh, where you get to think about, say things, write about uh, whatever is on your mind. And we believe that the Fair Finance Initiative is much broader than just our work on mm -hmm. opportunity zones. Uh, we have several programs that we've launched within the portfolio. Uh, it includes a program on diverse asset managers that we call Creating Equitable Capital Markets. And there's been a lot of great work done around the disparities um, in capital allocation to firms that are led by women and firms that are led by people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on the study, it's anywhere from 2 to 5%. And that includes women and people of color-led yes. uh, yeah. firms. Um, it's really uh, astonishing, the disparity in capital allocation. And what we're trying to do in our program that's been funded by Serna Foundation, uh, we are looking at 
not just the disparity itself, but the reasons behind it mm. and what kinds of system change mm-hmm. have to take place in order to move the needle. Yeah, that's great. And I'm interested if you have, as, as you reflect on the range of different programs that have been tried in government and, and also the movement of impact investing, are there um, are there examples that we can draw on you know, also even to the extent that you know these examples from around the world, are there examples that we can draw on and say, this didn't, we thought this was a good idea and it failed for the following reason, you know, and or this is a really intriguing idea and we're seeing some real impact here and that's something we should do more of build. So I'm interested in what we can learn from, from failures you know, hist- and histories success. or comparisons. Yeah. Yeah. From history. What, what a great question about what we can learn from the past. Um, you know, I think that there are a lot of examples in education, um, particularly in thinking about how do you measure and manage impact. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen over the years is a shift from measuring outputs to measuring real outcomes. And so in education for a long time, people were counting outputs. They were counting how many students were in the classroom, how many people received a specific curriculum. Right. How many books were in the library. How many books were in the library. And over time, what we've come to understand from our failures and where we've succeeded is that what really matters is did they learn something? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've seen that evolution. I won't point out any examples of companies uh, in in uh, the podcast, but uh, but there certainly are many examples of when we started measuring outcomes, we found that in fact people were not learning mm-hmm. in the classroom, and that really has influenced how uh, educational trainings are developed and delivered around the world. Right, right. So as we wrap up this podcast, um, what advice might you give people who are intrigued and say, fair finance, that sounds right. I want to learn more. I want to do more. I want to think about this more. How can people engage with this topic? So I I would start uh, by saying check out uh, our work at the Beck Center. Uh, at Georgetown University. Um, But I would also say, uh, look at some of the existing resources that are in the field of impact investing. I often point people to the Global Impact Investing Network, uh, which has tremendous amount of resources available Mm -hmm. on their website. Um, I would also encourage Uh, particularly individuals that are either here at Wharton or have graduated from Wharton, to look at how you can contribute to a local organization uh, that is engaged in fair finance. Mm. It could be a community development bank that's looking for board members. Um, It could be um, a community loan fund that's a not-for-profit uh, that uh, is looking for consulting advice. Mm-hmm. Um, but look at how you can be engaged in your local community. And I know many Wharton alums uh, are providing service in their post-Wharton days as 
part of nonprofit organization boards. And, I, you know, there's always a, a element of finance in every organization, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit, in terms of how they raise capital mm-hmm. and how they're deploying capital uh, for their operations. And thinking about how it can be structured and designed in ways that are truly fair finance. Yeah, that's great. And I'm going to, I'll chime in and add as a Wharton professor and vice dean that I would encourage people also to check out our website at the Wharton Social Impact Initiative and look for our reports and stories on these same issues. And, you know, as a researcher, I I would say the the inequities in in finance, the bias that's in finance, the you know, the issues of of sexism and racism, the data is there. We you know, and it we spend a little bit of time googling the web. You can find an awful lot of information and start to inform yourself about, you know, what do I think? How do I explain these these differences? And and is there something I can do? So I would encourage our our listeners to be thinking about that as well. Here, here. Good, good. So, Lisa, it's wonderful to see you. Thank you for joining us in this podcast. And thank you to our listeners for listening in on Dollars and Change. Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.